Welcome to episode 99 of the ASC podcast with John Gailey for March 31st, 2020, recording live from our studios in Spencerport, New York. We would like to thank our sponsors, Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, Surgical Information System, Encompass Healthcare Data Solutions, BHG Funding, and Medicus IT. For more information about our sponsors, please visit our website. This is Susan Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and Senior Nurse Consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Joining me from our studio in Spenceport, New York, is John Gailey, recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. And joining us remotely from Rochester, New York, Jenna Alvarez, Senior Nurse Consultant with AHS, Alex Borneman, Director of Operations with AHS, Judy D'Ambrosio, Director of Educational Services with AHS, and from Cape Cod, Massachusetts, Lori Rodericks, Director of Clinical Service for AHS, from Atlanta, Georgia, Zach Caloridis, Financial Consultant with AHS, from West Palm Beach, Florida, Ann Geyer, Chief Nursing Officer with SIS, from Fra Franklin, North Carolina, Christina Benton, President of Coding Compliance Management, a lot of people in former places. I'm a little <laughs> jealous. And from New Milford, New Jersey, Nelson Gomes, Senior Vice President, uh, Senior Vice President of Business Development for Medicus IT. So well, that, welcome everybody. That list is getting longer and longer every episode <laughs> here, uh, and uh, it's it's tough to manage it. We've got uh, eight people on the feed here. We're feeding it out there. So if you want to see our wonderful faces. Uh, Join us on the YouTube feed, which you can reach by searching for my name, John Gailey, G-O-E-H-L-E, um, on YouTube. Sorry, haven't been able to switch that over to ASC Podcast yet. We're still working on that. I do want to welcome Nelson Gomes, who's on the line here. Uh, Nelson is our newest sponsor with Medicus IT. Thank you so much, Nelson, for uh, joining, the, uh, joining the crowd here, and we're going to talk to him a little bit about IT issues. I also have my dear friend, Christina Benton, on the line from up on the top of a mountain in uh, Franklin, uh, North Carolina. Welcome, Christina. Hello. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> so uh, just a little bit of an update. Uh, we always like to talk a little bit about what's going on around here. Uh, Ambitory Healthcare Strategies is operating full tilt. We, uh, well, more than full tilt right now. Uh, I, I'd say that we're all a little fatigued because just when we think things are going to calm down a little bit, something like the hospital without walls comes out, uh, which will keep us busy into the next decade probably. Um, I, we've only had one layoff, and that was actually a seasonal employee who uh, we did that mainly to let him apply for unemployment. He wasn't expected to start working for us until late summer anyway. And uh, we're uh, so during this time, uh, we're working on a number of programs. You know that we're working on some educational programs that we're going to be presenting. The first one is going to be with Lori, who's going to do a session on infection prevention for infection preventionists uh, education. Uh, we do have a virtual conference, and, uh, and that infection preventionist conference is uh, April 7th. Uh, it's a full day conference from 8 to 3. Uh, and it's for prospective infection preventionists, as well as anybody that just wants to keep up to date with uh, their education there. We also have a very exciting virtual conference coming up um, April 14th and, and 17th. They're two days, but they're not contiguous, so we just decided that would be a better way to do it. We'll give you more information later. One of the things that we're trying to do is encourage people to, uh, you know, kind of get everything together while they 
they might be off or when at least their, their volume might not be where it was before. And one of those things is just kind of getting your mandatory education out of the way. So one of the things we're working on is doing an annual med- mandatory education program that we're going to uh, flow out for all of our clients and we'll offer it as an additional fee for, for those of you that might want to do the, the, the stuff that's not specific to your um, to your uh, facility. So we'll have more information about that soon. As you can see, we're very busy here. Um, so the biggest developments that we've had within the last uh, 48 hours is the issue of the hospital without walls. It's an exciting development, but a very um, confusing one. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit in a few seconds here. Um, and uh, we've been on conference calls all day long about this, and I know Lori has a little bit of information. Actually, we all have our opinions about this, so, uh, so. anxious to hear some uh, conversation about that. I want you to be constantly preparing for the future because, first of all, it's hard to predict what that's going to look like, but we need to be ready to reactivate ourselves. Uh, we need to be ready to be innovative, you know, like contracting with hospitals. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, we need, And then we need to prepare for getting back to normal, whatever that's going to be and whenever that would be. As you're doing this, uh, and uh, Anne has said this many times uh, and has talked about it in previous podcasts, we, we need to take care of ourselves, we need to take care of our employees, we need to um, work hard to uh, make sure that we keep our spirits up during this difficult time and, and look to the positive side. Uh, this is, uh, uh, next week is Holy Week, um, for those of you that are religious, and uh, that's, uh, that's a huge uh, week in the, in the Christian calendar and uh, the time that uh, we uh, we go through a lot during that uh, that time period. So uh, so uh, keep your uh, your spirits up and uh, keep looking toward the future. So during this podcast, as we have in the past, if you uh, uh, wish to ask us questions, uh, you can do that in three different ways. One is in the Podbean app. You can type into the chat. I am monitoring that, and Sue can see it. You can send an email to email uh, to comments at ASCPodcast.com. Sue is monitoring that. Uh, or you can do it in YouTube comments, and I have no idea who's doing that on our behalf, but I know somebody I think, is doing it. I think Zach is. Uh, Zach is. Okay, thank you. Um, or you can send a carrier pigeon. He might not arrive in time, but uh, whatever you do, uh, we, we'd be glad to take your questions throughout. So with that, let's uh, let's. I, I thought we would have a little bit of dialogue about CMS's uh, announcement of the hospital without walls uh, in Amatory Surgery Center. So the the goal of this program is to increase the hospital capacity, recognizing that the hosp- hospital industry is going to have a surge problem when when the cases start coming on board. So they have proposed what they call a hospital without walls program, which is it's not a new term. It's something they've talked about quite a bit in the past, but. Basically, CMS will allow communities to take advantage of local ambulatory surgery centers that have canceled elective surgeries per federal recommendations. Surgery centers can contract with local healthcare systems to provide hospital services, or they can enroll and bill as hospitals during the emergency declaration as long as they are not inconsistent with their state's emergency preparedness or pandemic plan. The new flexibilities will also leverage these types of of sites to de, uh, they say decant services typically provided by hospitals such as cancer procedures, trauma surgeries, and other essential surgeries. And and I'll add to that uh, note, uh, um, birthing is one of those issues, and I think that's one of those possibilities that that might particularly work well in an ambulatory surgery setting. CMS will now temporarily permit non-hospital buildings and spaces to be used for patient care and quarantine sites, provided that the location is. A pr- 
approved by the state and ensures the safety and comfort of the patients and staff. So I'm going to open this up to uh, uh, to uh, my distinguished panel here for some observations. I one point I'll, I'll just start off. I think the best and cleanest way to do this at this point would be. Uh, to work. We've already encouraged you to go out and talk to your hospitals in your community, uh, see, uh, you know, make sure that uh, they're aware of what you're up to and that you're there. Uh, I still think, uh, based upon this, I think the, the cleanest way of doing this is to uh, work with the hospital to develop a contract. So basically the hospital, uh, shall we say, takes over your surgery center during this time. They bill and then they pay you a fee, such, shall we say, a rental fee. But it would probably be, a, you know, for the use of the facility, the supplies, they'll perhaps they'll bring their supplies. Um, and that they'll provide the staffing, though you might supplement that staffing. So I'm going to open this up to my other um, uh, colleagues here on the line for some observations. We talked quite a bit about this before we uh, went live, and uh, just I think some of that conversation would be good to have here. I had um, an observation, and this is Christina, and that was the the billing piece from the con the contractual piece. Is that something that's going to now be where if the facility or hospital were to take it over, that does this now mean the ASC cannot do any other types of trauma cases and they bill? So is there an option for dual billing or not? There's a lot of gray areas. It's kind of like the stimulus um, signage on Friday. Yes, it's great, but banks and SBA loan, they have no idea that what the regulations and what how to implement. So. That's a big one because it may, we definitely want to be able to take that overflow to open those beds for the COVID patients to be taken care of in the hospitals, but from the ASC side, you know, where is that for, you know, will it now be totally in control of from the hospital aspect and that the ASCs um, not having any type of and I, I agree that that's one of those issues. In other words, if you contract with the hospital, are you still going to be able to do your own cases? Or in your so things that you should be thinking about is maybe with the hospital you contract for a certain number of days and then you're open the other days, uh, or maybe you just decide that during this time frame you'll stop doing your procedures and the, the hospital will continue doing theirs. I'm not sure. I don't even know how to manage a situation where. You have you. You're not only doing the hospital cases, but you're also doing your own cases. I I just can't see that happening. Not to mention the regulatory problems with that. And did you have some observations? That's I, I would think that would create a nightmare scenario. Mm -hmm. I mean, I kind of like your idea about doing it on alternate days. Even if you give the hospital four days and you take one, that mm -hmm. one day you have control. Otherwise, you lose autonomy because right. if they come in and take over. They basically are going to tell you what you can and can't do anyway. So I think that contract that we talked about before the podcast is going to be critical is ironing out all the details, um, what to expect, who's going to run what, who's going to do the billing. Like if you're doing cases for the hospital and you're billing, can you bill as an HOPD or do you have to keep billing as an ASC? Right. You know, that came up on Ask a Connect this morning. So it's, it's, um, there's a lot to think about. 
And, and just to be clear before, because Lori's has some observations, but just to be clear, what we're uh, talking about here with the contract is that the hosp- you would contract with the hospital. The hospital would pay you a, 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 probably a fixed component, which would be for your overhead and use of the facility, and probably a variable component for any staff that you might have. For example, you're, you're definitely going to want to have some of your staff over- overseeing what's going on. You don't want to turn this completely over to the hospital and, and go off-site. Uh, so your contract would be for that. You wouldn't have to worry about billing. The hospital would do the billing under the HOPD. They would be collecting under the HOPD rates. Lori, uh, our distinguished colleague um, from uh, Cape Cod, um, has been in touch with uh, uh, ASC Association. I don't know how much you want to talk about some of the conversations you've had, but you are serving on one of the committees that's looking into some of these issues. Yeah, the um, the um, ASCA board met last night or spoke last night, and um, they're trying to come up with a way to deal with this question um, for all the ASCs. And so a group of us um, have been um, uh, recruited to be on a um, like a think tank and to see how we can get cases from the hospital into the ASC. And what the, there was, there's six of us on this, um, in this committee, we decided that the best thing to start was to see um, presenters to really sit down and come up with a plan if they are even eligible to do this. So that's what we're going to do right now. Um, There's five of us that are gonna present our thoughts, our questions, our, our concerns, and they're gonna be put together to kind of make a checklist for ASCs um, to start the consideration process and um, you know go from there. Because obviously not every ASC is going to be eligible to take surgical patients. Um, not every ASC is gonna be able to take all surgical patients. Um, and where do you wanna draw the line and, and Again, there's the, the legal issues. There's, you know, your staffing issues, your equipment. Um, you know, the other thing to consider is if you have closed down, you'd have to get ready to ramp back up. Um, and if you have canceled any contracts, as in your trash or linen or whatnot, you're going to have to start those back up. So there's a lot to think about. Um, and I have a feeling our, our checklist is going to be a few pages long. And that's the what do you think phase, yeah. <laughs> never mind the implementation phase. So, you know, there's a lot that, you know, it don't just it's not a knee jerk decision. It's not just about getting cases in. You really have to do your due diligence and make sure that it's right for you, your center, your employees, um, your pa- the patients that you're going to take. Is it a safe environment for them, de- depending on what cases they want to send over? Yeah. Well, and remember, actually- the hospital has not worked in your center. They haven't been oriented to your center. They haven't been oriented to where the supplies are kept. These may be physicians that haven't worked with your, your um, that aren't even on your staff. There's just Lori's right. There's just so much mm-hmm. to consider. And if you're even thinking about it, start making your list now of considerations. And then if when the task force comes out with their recommendations, if you have things that are on there that they don't have, you can submit those. Oh, yeah, please do. And we'll, uh, for our morning update tomorrow, we'll start working on that. That's a really good idea to start thinking about all those considerations that you'd have. 
I think uh, I have Nelson uh, here with us because immediately I'm starting to think, okay, how are you going to do medical records? How are you going to, you know, if hospitals are used to electronic medical records. How are you going to bring that into your center? How quickly can uh-huh. you activate that sort of thing? Looks like, Nelson, you're going to be very busy if this happens. <laughs> Nelson doesn't have anything to say. I don't think that's ever happened. Oh, no, I was muted. I'm sorry. Okay, no problem. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that that's going to really... Um, be interesting because if you have certain people that are that are not part of that center and they need some kind of credentialing from a it perspective or security to use the systems you got to understand as well as each area or each surgery center uses a different system so how is that going to work yeah so there's there's definitely i mean while you're going through this i have a, a gazillion things running through my head that I now need to think about on how to prepare our, our clients. So thanks. <laughs> sure. And yeah. just a, and, a point of reference. And, and some, so many are still on paper records, right. which right. the doctors have not used. Correct. For years. Yep. Uh, for a point of reference, Nelson uh, is uh, uh, kind of a networking hardware guy, works very closely with a lot of the companies that do um, uh you know, that supply the software that we have. So uh, he would be uh, the one to be called in to, uh, uh, to get the, those uh, systems from the hospital connected, which I'm assuming is the only way you could do this, uh, to be able to do those electronic medical records, unless you went back to paper. Uh, I can't imagine even that. Who, who knows? I mean, even if you're going to do that, you know, let's say you connect remotely to their systems, to the hospital system, there has to be certain things in place and how well are they going to work? So there, there's a right. lot of logistics on a technology side, I think that needs to be put into consideration as, as we go through this, just like, you know, uh, Lori had mentioned, and I know Anne had mentioned some other logistics you need to think about. So, you know, in different areas of, of, of providing that patient care, IT is just a small piece compared to what right. you know, everybody else has to do. So uh, it, it's definitely something to, to think about and how does that impact workflow, clinical workflow. Uh, right. And, and I think that's something that, you know, that should be added to that checklist for sure. Absolutely. So we'll start working on that and, and push that out. Um, so uh, I, I need to remind everybody that uh, uh, any information that we provide to our clients, we're also posting on the ASCpodcast.com website. Uh, if you go to that link on the front page, there's a, a, a link to our daily updates. And from there, you can see, uh, you'll see that information that we have. At this point, we are giving a lot of stuff away for free here because it's just important to get that information out to our to our clients and our friends in the podcast world and just the world and uh, the, uh, the ASC world in general. So uh, ASCpodcast.com and then just follow the links. Any other observations about this? I, I Big point here, though, this is not something that can happen overnight. I mean, it, it's, I mean, despite sure. CMS... Uh, you know, pushing this out very quickly, uh, the ramifications are such that it's going to take a while. Christina, did you have some comments? Um, no, actually, not really. <laughs> Sorry. But no. um, mainly the, um, you know, the, the, it's A to Z. It's whether it's clinical or it's the business aspect of the ASCs, it's critically ill patients, those with higher um, comorbidities and the, the training and the um, staffing levels of the nurses. Are they familiar? They could have 30 years of experience, but it's like a doctor that Whoops. she's going to be doing the, um, a fracture treatment. Yeah. So, um, 
you know, it's just a matter of the ex expertise that needs to be really looked at in that respect. And then, um, you know, the, the, the training levels that need to occur to be able to even take these patients. And then the types of cases that are going to be coming in at even. We're having some problems with that top of the mountain there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you're, you're fading out a little bit, but we're, we're getting the gist of it. I, I, okay. Can we, just for two seconds, I, so one of the other options under this hospital without walls is that the hospital becomes uh, temporarily a hospital. I, I, I just don't see that happening, to be honest with you. I mean, I think that's even much more complicated than the other option. But let's just talk about it for a second. And, Christina, that, that, that <laughs> becomes the challenge for your coding and billing staff, of course. You mean if the AFC becomes a hospital? Right. Yeah. So basically, if you if you read the hospital without walls, one of the other op, uh, uh, recommendation from CMS is that there's two ways to do it. One, you contract with the hospital and you become an extension clinic of the hospital. The second option is that the ho the surgery center becomes temporarily um, uh, certified as a as a hospital. Uh, but that raises so many questions there. I mean, you'd be able to bill as a hospital, except none of our staff knows how to bill as a hospital generally. You, uh, do you have to follow the conditions for participation instead of the conditions for coverage? See, I, I mean, that's a rabbit hole. I don't think I want to jump down. And it looks like nobody else on my staff does either. <laughs> well, plus we don't always have the, um, the backup uh, to be a yeah. hospital. We don't have food services. We don't have radiology. We don't have yeah. some of the needed um, entities that makes a hospital a hospital. It, right. It's not just about doctors and nurses. It's, uh -huh. you know, all the extraneous parts that, you know, we're so focused and defined as an ASC that, um, you know, I guess takeout will be busy again. <laughs> Yeah, I just don't see that happening. I, I, and, and and actually, as I don't either, people, John. Yeah. So so again, so I think our advice that we want to give to our our audience, and we're certainly giving to our clients right now, is talk to your hospital, have this conversation, start preparing this list of the things that you're going to have to think about, start thinking about how you would transition. Uh, start thinking. I've already had the conversation with a couple of our clients. How much are you going to charge? How much? I mean, I, I don't know that you'll have much choice. The hospital will probably tell you, but um, but certainly start thinking about you know what the fee is going to be. Because again, remember, in this scenario where the hospital takes you over, you're going to be getting reimbursement from the hospital. They'll they'll do the billing for you. And also, John, to Lori's point, even if um, even though they have waived the need for a menu. Uh, as far as food services go um, for extension clinics from the hospitals, you still need to, you know, provide food, whether that be through something like takeout. Right. But there's just so many options there. And again, I really want to emphasize Lori's comment about, uh, or, or I can't remember who it was. I think it was Lori about uh, the training that you're going to have to put people through about how to use your facility. Um, it, there's and the safety side. Basically, your emergency plan is going to have to become part of that uh, that temporary situation where you're acting as an emergency or as a uh, as an extension clinic. Yeah, Anne had um, brought up that point, which is an excellent point. And the the other thing that we talked about before we went on air is um, you need to have staff buy-in. Yeah, you need to have them agree to come out of their comfort zone in some instances uh, when it comes to uh, taking on this challenge. 
um, you might not have your, your orthopedic uh, tech who's been scrubbing um, ortho for 15 years now may not feel comfortable doing a, a, an appy. And when you think about it, your appy might end up becoming an open appy, not a laparoscopic appy, which patients kind of are getting used to. I mean, it's, it'll be a whole new world in the, um, in the center. And can we ask our staff to put themselves in that predicament or that um, discomfort zone or even not feeling comfortable about coming into the center. Right. You know, so that you'd need to get their buy-in as well, not just um, the hospital and physicians. It's a, it's a team approach. That's what ASCs have always been is a team. Right. And we have, we can't lose that. Well said. Any other comments before we move on? It's hard to manage eight people all at once here. Uh, thank you though for your, Thanks to the audience for their patience, and thank you for my wonderful team for all of their feedback. Second thing we want to talk about is expansion of the accelerated and advanced payments program for providers and suppliers during the COVID-19 emergency. In other words, <laughs> on Saturday, CMS uh, announced that it was expanding its accelerated and advanced payment program for Medicare providers. Accelerated and advanced Medicare payments generally provide emergency funding based on historical payments when there is a disruption in claims submission or claims processing. CMS has expanded the program for all Medicare providers during this public health emergency related to COVID-19. So this would allow you to get accelerated or faster payments or advanced payments in, in advance of when you would normally uh, bill for them. Uh, the provider or supplier must uh, meet four qualifications. They have billed Medicare for claims within the last 180 days prior to the date of the signature uh, on the provider or supplier's request form, not be bankrupt, not be in bankruptcy, not be under active medical review or program integrity investigation, and not have any outstanding delinquent Medicare overpayments. Those are repayments back to Medicare when you've been overpaid. Medicare will start accepting and processing the accelerated advance payment requests immediately. CMS anticipates that the payments will be issued within seven days of the provider's request. Um, so for more information, we uh, on our website, we have provided uh, some links to that. And next I wanted to talk, so Christina, our dear friend here uh, uh, on top of a mountain in North Carolina, I thought I'd bring her on just to kind of talk about some of the challenges that were dealing with right now. A lot of our coding and billing staff, particularly in New York, have had to move off-site. Uh, and I know she's dealing with some of these challenges. And so, Christina, if you, for a few minutes, can just talk about what's going on and maybe some suggestions that you might have during this time. I'm going to see if I don't get cut off again. <laughs> um, the One of the big issues that we're seeing is just the connectivity, obviously. Um, with the staff and trying to determine if, if, if and how they are going to work remotely. Um, there's two main areas that are critical. One, of course, is HIPAA and ensuring that all patient information is protected. And the other is connectivity. How will they be able to do their job remotely? Um, one of the biggest issues we see is, you know, not everybody can work from Some people are better suited in an environment where they're supervised. So what we're suggesting first is that with is that you're, you're dropping out solo yeah. practice that you're able to 
remote into what you need to, the tools you need to have to be able to get um, your work done. Um, routine is a Christine, you faded out. Two breaks, one lunch, no breaks, no lunch. How custom to doing it before so that you don't have such a, this is a new job for me mentality. Um, monitoring is a big one and productivity standards is a big one when it comes to bringing the, the force back in, um, into a remote atmosphere. Um, you have to dedicate an office space remotely and not just have a laptop on top of your on top of your lap in the living room with three kids and a husband and you're cooking dinner at the same time. So um, the big issue though is can we do it? How do we do it? And doing how you do it is first assessing what that person's role is, how much of the electronic aspect are they doing, how much of the paper antiquated role are they having are they having to process, and then streamlining it in that aspect. The coding in the billing. Um, you know, my company, we've always coded from, from a remote aspect, um, but the ASCs that have coders in-house, they can do the same. There's a lot of electronic transmission of dictation and reporting that they're able to be able to get their hands on remotely through an encrypted process as it's set up through IT from their home bases and still be able to code and potentially bill if they're able to have access into the system without having to go on site and risking anybody's health and their own men uh, mentality of having to go on site twice or three or four times um, during the week. So it's um, just a matter of just organizing who can leave How can they do their job? In what timely fashion can they do their job with as minimal on-site as possible? Well said, and I think uh, one of the issues, and maybe uh, Nelson can talk about this in a few seconds, is is just making sure, because we're not waiving the HIPAA rules, so you need no. to make sure that at home you're, uh, you're securing that data from people in the family. In our case, we don't want the puppy to, to see anything that's going on. Um, and I have to bring that puppy up all the time. Yeah, uh, she's pretty darn cute. Uh, but, but, you know, keep in mind that nobody else other than the person that's doing the coding should have access to that information, so you should be securing that screen when you're not using it. You should keep people out that, that shouldn't have a right to that. And your your computer should be uh, locked uh, when you're not physically next to it and encrypted. Well, and also there's the policies and procedures. So you've had a, a policies and procedures in place at the ASC for whether it's for HIPAA or for any of your policies and procedures from the uh, clinical and your business office aspects. And now you have brought in, you know, even your emergency preparedness. We all thought maybe there's a hurricane, maybe there's a um, an earthquake. We didn't think the entire nation would be shut down from COVID-19. So that was something that wasn't necessarily on everybody's radar, maybe on some. But now we need to look at any time you make a change, there's probably going to be a change in the policy procedure and forms that are utilized. Good point. Good point. I would, I would add to that, if I may. I mean, we obviously saw a huge um, uh, turn from, you know, working remotely. I mean, our, our, our help desk tickets and, and requests basically tripled across the country uh, from our client base because, you know, wanting to, to work remotely and, and you know, having 98% of our client base uh, healthcare 
it's definitely it was definitely a challenge and i think that one of the things that goes alongside some of the things that christina mentioned is i would say probably 95 percent of the of, of our clients don't even have a telecommuting policy yeah as far as what the, for their employees right you talked about policy so what's the policy that they have in place from 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 a from an it perspective yes we have to put in all these um tools in place to make sure that your connectivity between your home and your office or, or whether your systems are on a cloud that are being hosted by a third party are secure. And um, typically on the, for the surgery center side, we don't see a lot of that remote kind of work. Um, it's, it's smaller, but an instance like this, you know, we're going to, we, we start to see it a lot more. Um, so having those systems in place in order to do it. And it's not even that. I would say the collaboration between uh, employees and how employees are speaking and, and, and collaborating amongst themselves is always an issue. Um, so ha there are tools out there that you can definitely use from a collaborative standpoint. For example, off uh, Microsoft Office 365 has Microsoft Teams. Set up some channels that are specific to your, you know, to to your different departments, so that that converse those conversations can happen, and they can happen in a great way. Use, you know, leverage some of the tools like Zoom, like we're having here now, where you can collaborate. Um, Telemedicine—that's a whole another thing, and, and I'll be talking about that as well. But you know, there's some uh, best practices that we need to to to, to educate and um, also uh, ensure that that our employees are following best practices and a time like this, and I'll get into it a little bit more when, you know, when I have some time going down the line here is, uh, you know, we need to emphasize the staff of being vigilant for, uh, for, for fishing campaigns with COVID-19. There's a lot of fishing going on and, and they're trying, they're really trying to attack during, uh, you know, th these different times. So I, you know, my recommendation is make sure that you have all those things in place while you're, while you're working remotely. So um, and I'll talk a little bit more about it later on, but just some thoughts. And he brings up a good point on that is that any change as far as even the routers that are being used now, because we have, we're custom different routers, VPNs, um, anything that has a change, you've got to incorporate your your model numbers, your router numbers, anything that that has, has is, is is in the aspect of utilizing for the transmission of protected health information needs to be documented as well. And then of course, every tool that's used, you need to double check that it is also meeting the minimal HIPAA requirements for privacy and security. Uh, any other comments or any other issues that you wanna talk about, uh, Christina, while we have you on the line? Uh, Rosie, but other than that, we're good. <laughs> Rosie's our uh, eight-week-old, uh, eight-week and two-day-old uh, puppy uh, that uh, we keep pushing pictures out. And you're right; I need to update the uh, the pictures on our website there so people can see uh, what it. Right. And, and when you're talking about keeping uh, them uh, off your, uh, she basically wants to be in our lap all the time when we're uh, working on a computer. Well, um, basically, um, you know, just that the, the facilities and what we're what I've been seeing from our client base, most of the facilities and, you know, we kind of have to return back to the phys old physician owned ASCs where it was a shared space hour in between type of aspect is that most of the facilities that we're looking at are only they're down to one to two days a week, yeah. only taking the urgent type of procedure and um, they're scared. Um, you know, you've got some facilities that have closed down 
and they're just waiting and hoping. Whoops. We're going to go on, you know, we're going to open up on, on the 6th yeah. of April and it's just not going to happen. So, you know, having these types of conversation will certainly ensure that they feel that they're on the right track. While we're on that topic, a little bit off of the the main topic here, but during uh, one of our conference calls today, a subject was brought up. One of the the, the uh, listeners, one of the, the questions that was asked is, "I'm a nurse. I've noted that the doctor in my facility is um, doing cases that I think are not uh, that are elective and not urgent. Um, am I going to be at risk for allowing these cases to be done uh, in my center? Uh, am I going to be held responsible for it?" And I think the bigger question is, is the center going to be responsible for it? Now, we're, we're talking, this was in New York, uh, where there's a pretty strict rule about this. But uh, I personally feel that there's some culpability there, that there's some possible problems. And we know that the trial lawyers are just going to have a field day after this whole uh, situation. Mm-hmm. So I just thought I'd bring that up to other, uh, other uh, panelists here. Oh, that's really a tough one. Um, I would... I would err on the side that yes, the um, surgical center is liable for sure. Yeah, I agree. if they're going beyond what um, is deemed um, urgent or emergent, um, because if it gets looked at, it's not going to be looked at by peers that they know. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be looked at by other peers trying to see if they did the right thing, you know, as in expert witness peers. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be a Um, lawsuit. As far as the nurse goes, that's a, that, I don't know. I think that can go either way because if you knowingly do something that you feel is wrong or against the rules and you go ahead anyway, you're still responsible for your actions. And it's like giving too much insulin because the order said the wrong amount and you felt it was the wrong amount, but you didn't speak up. So I don't know that that's a tough one. I I really think I would, uh, if I was the nurse and I felt it was the wrong thing to do, I, That's a tough one, Lori. It, it really, it really is. I mean, it, it, it becomes an ethical dilemma. Yeah. You yeah. know, you know, people with integrity do what's right, even when no one's looking. And so if you know it's wrong and you do it anyway, then it's an ethical thing. Now, can the center fire you for that? That's a whole legal discussion. Right. You know, if you stood up for and said, no, this is not elective surgery, say it's plastic surgery, but somebody really wants to do it and the surgeon really wants to do it. And the surgery center says, but this isn't urgent. It's, it's, it's plastic surgery. And he, he's an owner and he says, we're going to do it anyway. Well, you know, who's liable? You're right. I think it was ASCA that published the uh, American College of Surgeons definitions of elective versus urgent cases. Or am I imagining that? Because I downloaded it. I think I would have that available. And if it came up that way, I would say this is what the American College of Surgeons describes as elective versus urgent, and we can't do this case and see what happens. 
very good point. And uh, Alex and my team, let's uh, push that out tomorrow morning again, uh, kind of emphasize that. Absent uh, specific state guidance, I think that's a very good point, and I think that's probably yes, some of the best right. guidance we have. Always. We'll yeah, we'll do that tomorrow morning. We'll put it on the website. Okay, any other comments uh, before I turn it over to uh, Nelson to talk a little bit about the IT issues here? Okay, go, Nelson. Okay, so there's there's a there's a lot to talk about, um, especially now with uh, we're seeing a huge um, shift in the market as far as telehealth, as you can all imagine, um, especially now with uh, uh, the lessening of the uh, I guess of the of, of the restrictions um, with uh, waiver eleven thirty five. So we're seeing a huge uptick um, uh, for telehealth um, on the uh, patient uh, on the patient doctor side of things and how doctors are going to be able to see patients how it applies to the ASC market still to be known I'd love to hear some of my colleagues here uh, on the AS you know that are here today that kind of get their feedback on that one um, but as 2020 unfolds uh, the COVID-19 pandemic really testing healthcare system capacity telehealth is stepping up we're seeing a lot of virtual um, care and remote monitoring. Uh, we're seeing a huge shift uh, in, in that. Uh, one of the things that uh, we are you know, providing some recommendations to our clients is please go through that evaluation process as you would go through any other tool. Perhaps you need to speed it up a little bit, but at the same time, you know, take those precautionary measures and ask the questions. The very simple questions are, is it HIPAA compliant? If the recordings are being stored, where are they being stored? How long are they being stored for? Just some of those things. There's a lot of great uh, 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 resources out there. Don't use Facebook Live or, or TikTok or any of those type of things, obviously. You know, sometimes we think it's common sense, but you'd be surprised on, on what's going out uh, there and what people are using. Um, we're hearing about, um, and I'm sure you guys heard about today, about uh, uh, some news about... Uh, what they calling a zoom um, bombing where they're kind of bombing into into the actual uh, virtual meetings just like this one um, and typically it's because they're publishing the actual meeting ID on the web and it's simple enough just those type of things where you know you have you're probably having your uh, executive meeting and all of a sudden you have some guy from the Netherlands on your on your podcast making jokes or flashing you or some crazy stuff so um, we're seeing some of that. Some of that. So use the tools um, with uh, you know the security um, in place. Um, and I think Nelson, what they said is the importance of using a password. Is that correct? If you're using a Zoom yeah, session, I mean, for there's, there's, yeah, you can use uh, uh, some of those. Uh, a lot of the, especially with Zoom, you have the ability to use uh, uh, passwords uh, as well. And there is the uh, the ability of doing uh, multi-factor authentication for different applications, especially in telehealth. So. Uh, those are some of the things for for those of you who are looking to do telehealth. You know, take your time and and, and, and finding those type of things. You don't want to rush into something and then later on it's going to come and bite you. Yes, the restrictions are kind of OCRs. Like, okay, guys, you know, we're holding back a little bit. Do your thing, but that doesn't mean it's going to last forever, and that doesn't mean that um, it's the wild wild west either. So I, I would highly recommend that you take those things. You know, take some caution in, in what you in going through there. Do uh, there's plenty. There's a lot of different uh, solutions out there. I would definitely um, 
talk to your EMR vendor. You know, I know, I know SIS is a sponsor here and, and I know them and HST and some of the larger um, uh, vendors have certain solutions. So check with them first, see what they have. Um, they might have something built in, but they might some, have something that you can use. Um, we talked a little bit about earlier today about uh, uh, working remotely and some of the best practice that you need to think about for your staff. Um, what we're seeing is the majority of the administrative staff, um, as far as the billing staff, they're, they're doing in the ASC space are, are doing some work from home. And some of the things that we need to take in consideration is we actually had um, clients actually take their actual machines with them. And the reason we asked them to do that is if they're doing it on their own personal computers, as a uh, entity, you don't have control over that machine. So if that machine has some security flaws and they're connecting uh, a, a certain way to, even if it's a secure way, now you're, you know, now you have, you know, that machine if might be infected and there's a tunnel between that machine and the center that now your, your, your network is at risk. So think about that. I mean, you can, you know, connect remotely to systems is how secure or what do you use in order to connect those? So we actually had some uh, clients that actually took their machines, whether they're laptops or desktops and took their setups from the facility, you know, to their homes and remotely, we helped them uh, uh, set everything up. Um, using encryption with connectivity, which is uh, for the most part using a VPN between your, all, your your home office and back to the facility, depending on uh, your setup, you may have your solution, your EHR, your practice management system that sits up on the cloud. Then um, uh, th for, for those, there are already some systems already in place that has that connectivity set up as far as, and, and it's encrypted. Uh, ensuring that you have the right tools in your systems to, to, to ensure that, that that connectivity and an encryption is set in place. Um, there are definitely some, some tools that we use as an organization that are part of our security essentials to ensure that, that security. And then the other thing I would always say is emphasize it to your staff to be vigilant, especially with phishing. Uh, we've seen um, some actually tweets that I shared with John and some of, some of the documentation where they're saying, whew, this is gonna be a, this is gonna be fun. 65 million Medicaid uh, Medicare uh, patients yeah. that are, and we, we, we're gonna have the ability to get to, to see all that information because people are, you know, especially with telehealth, right? They're, they're, they're going to ease back more on their security and kind of let, let down their guard. So yeah. be, be, be ensure that you have those things in place and, and vigilant of emails that you're getting that have COVID-19. I'm sure, you know, I, I, I'm not kidding you. I must get at least 300 of them a day. Um, and, and they're, most of them are, are, are informational, but some of them we know that uh, are malicious. So just be open to that. And I can tell you that from the attorney general, um, a, a publication came out last Friday and their second bullet point was about phishing emails for the for entities posing as the World Health Organization yeah. or the yeah. Center of Disease Control and Prevention. We, we actually have a question. Um, sure. Stefan asks, would the VPN protect a personal computer if that's all the employee has access to? i.e. they have no access to a work computer. So if 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 you have your machine and you have malware on your machine and, and, and at home, let's just say, and you're using VPN, the VPN is, is it stands for a virtual private network. So what that's doing is creating a tunnel, a secure tunnel from your computer to the, your computer at the office. If your computer's compromised, 
you, there's a good chance if you don't have the right tools on your machine that it, that your entire uh, network can be compromised as well. Because so, you're basically connecting the, into the network, connecting as another node on the network. Correct. So yeah. that's when we say, hey, you know, you have that ability to, to, to use your home machine, but there's certain things that you have to have in place in order to protect yourself. So it, it, it's, it, it's tough. So um, using best, you know, as, as, as uh, some of the tools to kind of protect yourself and making sure that you have them in place is, is going to be very helpful. Hi, Kitty. You, you have a dog. cat that's upstaging you on the camera here. Uh, I'm sorry. Judy left Judy the scene, and suddenly the cat is uh, walking in. Sorry about that there. <laughs> I just saw that. I, I didn't get distracted. I was on a roll. <laughs> you were. You guys were sorry. Me there for a second. Judy has no. clearly been turned into a cat. Yeah. Right. All right. Oh, no. Thank you, Oh, this Nelson. is hilarious. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's in these times. Hi, Kitty. <laughs> well, she I'm has her mic off. I wonder if she can... Anyway, I am so, so sorry for our uh, audio only. No, feed. this is yeah. this is awesome. I mean, this is this is you know, I've lived you know, in, yeah. in the times of uh, COVID nineteen. Anyway, so uh, as far as cybersecurity, so those are some of the things that we really be, need to be uh, 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 vigilant with. Um, and I would I would um, uh, share with with the team uh, here today and those that are um, attending to please be vigilant, take those things seriously. Um, as they're going to continue to be, uh, unfortunately, they're going to continue to be some of the challenges that we're going to face. And uh, unfortunately, when when we're down and out, those some people are going to try to take advantage of that. So the best way we can do is is, is for us to be vigilant and fight uh, and fight back in that in that instance. Yeah. It um, is terrible. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, the number of emails that we're getting right now yeah. trying to sell products, and, and I get it. Some of these are small businesses that are, yeah. you know, trying to sell their products, or big businesses that are trying to keep the business going. Mm-hmm. But I worry about some of these emails that I'm getting. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I don't. If you don't I, know I, I it, just you know. You just my biggest know. thing is if you don't know it, just delete it. If it's important, it'll right. somebody will pick up the phone and call you for those type of things. So mm-hmm. just just be very vigilant with that. There's a lot of great tools out there. The one thing that I did mention is collaboration, right? Um, this is a great way to collaborate. I, I love, you know, being a tech guy. I, I love the ability to do these kind of things, right? And and the human factor of not being able to kind of uh, be with somebody face to face and and it's it's tough um, from my perspective because you're so used to being part of a team. Um, we we leverage these tools on a regular basis in the morning, whether you know during our hud- morning huddles and it, it, and I'm going off a little bit off subject. Make it fun. Yeah. You know, I get up in the morning and I try different themes for my team. Like today was uh, uh, Hawaiian day. I had my uh, lei. I put my lei on and I put, a, <laughs> I put a Hawaiian shirt and then I put my Cuban hat and made, you know, I made it, I made it a, exactly the reaction that I got. Right. Yes, and then tomorrow is going to be my Star Wars theme. So I have my Vader mask ready oh, to go. No. So use these tools for us. We, we want to get, I know culture is important to us as an organization, and we want to use that whatever method that we have to kind of get spirits up, help mm-hmm. people like you, help our clients, and most importantly, those that are that are suffering these days. We want to make sure that we're giving them the tools to be able to do that. So I think I covered enough. If you have any questions, send them out to John, and, and I might not be able to answer them today, but we'll make sure we'll get those for you. And be safe. Absolutely. And Nelson's going to be uh, with us uh, periodically. He's a new member of our team here. Nelson, So much for uh, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. 
So uh, a lot happened over the weekend. Uh, we decided not to do a podcast uh, yesterday, but uh, oh. it was important. Oh, go ahead. I so. do have another question before we said okay? Yeah, go for it. All right. So Stefan said, a question regarding Zoom hacking. Were they, were they hacking into the meetings because the link was made public? Our office manager sends out an email to the team for our meetings. Should we be adding a password? To join. Well, I would even even though you're again, we're talking about you know uh, some of those things are compromising your email. You'd be surprised how many people are are, are compromised even know it. So um, I would a hundred percent suggest that using some kind of uh, security you know for your Zoom meetings is very is very important. So yeah, I would definitely do that, and obviously don't share them with the public because you'll have people uh, break you know kind of uh, using that as a, as a way to kind of what they call. Uh, bombing right. it's like photo bombing but it's video bombing uh any other questions we are monitoring all of our feeds here and we have none at this point we're going to move on uh, talking about the uh, sba and the cares act um so the cares act was signed uh until on friday we did talk about it a little bit on friday uh there's a bunch of information that we've posted on our website including a link now I, as i mentioned on uh Friday, I believe, when I, no, maybe not, I can't remember when I mentioned this, but on Friday, when the, the information first came out, you had to fill out a PDF in order to apply for the loan. Now it's all online. So if you go to the link that's provided on our website, um, is it something we can uh, read out loud, Alex? Uh, the link itself? Yeah. Is it simple? I can't remember. Um, He's it is covid19relief.sba.gov forward slash hashtag forward slash. Okay. We will post that on the website. Um, so I, I've already uh, done this, uh, even though uh, Amateur Healthcare Strategies is, is actually all right at the present time. Um, and maybe some of you are uh, not needing cash right now. We're just trying to anticipate what will happen if uh, this continues for months, as uh, there are some predictions out there. So we've gone in. We've started the process of filling out the application. Uh, I will tell you, for small businesses such as mine, um, you, uh, there's a lot of information that you don't necessarily have readily available to you, uh, that you're going to have to come up with. And, uh, small business, again, like mine, if you're, if, uh, you have owners that own more than 20%, they're going to have to provide personal financial statements also, uh, as part of the application process. And that can be kind of onerous if you have five people that own 20% each. So be prepared for all of those, um, those, uh, um, those questions in there. Uh, as part of this act, uh, so it, it's, it's a little complicated, and as best we understand it right now, um, within three days of your application being accepted, you'll get, uh, you can get an advance of up to $10,000. And then uh, the, uh, they'll loan you a certain amount of money based upon how much you've requested. And if uh, everything goes well, um, at the end of this crisis, you, they will forgive the loan up to, I believe it's two and a half months of salary. Am I correct on that, Alex? I, yes. Two and a half uh, months of uh, payroll. Ten weeks. Two months. Ten weeks, two right. Months. Eight, Good. eight weeks. Yeah. Thanks, uh, thanks, Christina. So be very, uh, you know, so uh, important thing here is start get, gathering all this information. 
uh, make sure that you have easy access to that information. Uh, you know, start doing some projections uh, as to how this is going to impact you. Uh, you should be al- you're probably already doing that right now. Uh, you are going to have to uh, maintain employees. Uh, so this is likely the situation for those of you who have not laid off people, or I'm sorry, furloughed people or laid them off at this point. Again, there is a difference between furloughing and laying off. We haven't talked about it in a while. Furlough is where they're still an employee of yours, but they are temporarily uh, no longer on your payroll. And in this situation, you usually, though not always, pay their uh, health benefits uh, during that period of time. Uh, and they are generally eligible for unemployment. Uh, a layoff is going to be much more onerous because uh, you will most likely terminate their health benefits, though you don't have to. Uh, and uh, you're you're going to have you're going to have to rehire them, which means you're going to have to go through all of those processes you did, such as orientation, all the paperwork again when you rehire them. It'll be a little bit easier the second time around, but it's still going to be a lot of work, and you got to follow the the CMS regs as well as all the employment regs. So, Alex, I'm going to turn it over to you a little bit to talk a little bit more about the uh, the process there. I don't want to get into a lot of details because we do have a lot of that on the website, but just kind of give them a brief overview of that if you don't mind. Yep, absolutely. Um, just a quick note about some of the items that you might be asked to provide, um, gross revenue and COGS, um, cost of goods sold. Which by the um, way, Alex and I just had a disagreement about, there is no such thing as cost of goods sold in a surgery center, but that is what they ask for. Right, exactly. Um, and then the period for those is from February 1st, 2019 to January 31st, 2020. Um, so those are the... 12 months that they're determining to be before COVID-19. Um, in addition, um, some of the, the highlights here, uh, the Paycheck Protection Program, which is part of this, um, these loans are intended to be forgivable if the borrower maintains employees and otherwise complies with the CARES Act. Uh, the dates for those employees, um, so a borrower will not be penalized by a reduction in the amount forgiven for termination of an employee made between February 15, 2020 and April 26, 2020, as long as the employee is rehired by June 30th, 2020. So that gives you a little bit of time to, uh, to bring those people back on the payroll and still get uh, 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 an adequate amount of money uh, to re- uh, uh, forgiven in your loan. Absolutely. And some of the other items that are um, applicable as far as the loan forgiveness provisions, um, payroll. so payroll costs, we talked about those, payments of interest on any mortgage loan incurred prior to February 15th, 2020, payment of rent on any lease in force prior to February 15th, 2020, and payment on any utility for which service began before February 15th, 2020. Um, and the amount forgiven is not a taxable income for the borrower. Uh, and Nelson, you actually have a webinar coming up. Uh, you've uh, gotten some people from uh, that are experts on the SBA. Do you want to just mention that briefly? Yeah, we actually have, uh, and I'll send that out to you, John, if you want to share with the group or, or follow us. On, I know you can see me on uh, my post on LinkedIn or social media. And I'll post you it on our uh, website. That, uh, something that we're really doing is bringing in experts from different areas uh, to really provide us with a lot more information about um, 
in this case, SBA loans and what should we do? And we actually have somebody from SBA who's going to be speaking and some, and also somebody from Wells Fargo uh, from the small business uh, executive team that's going to provide a little bit more detail uh, uh, regarding uh, uh, the CARES Act because it seems like it keeps changing day by day, even though it was signed, but how it's going to get in, uh, implemented and executed is it's far a little bit more complicated than, than, than a lot of people are thinking. And based on what they're telling us, what we're learning is it keeps changing, unfortunately. So um, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to host something. I believe it's on Wednesday after hours around five o'clock, just to, you know, just after people are, are done with their work so they can do it. We have a series of different ones that we're going to be, that we're going to be hosting. And thanks John for allowing us to plug on Friday. We're going to host something, uh, regarding compliance and telehealth and CPT codes and all that other fun stuff as well. So look us up. Uh, you'll have some information there for, you know, definitely. So I'll share that with you, um, John, so that you can put it out there as well. So, and, yes. and these are free, I should mention. They, they're, there's no charge for them, correct? Correct. There is no charge. It's, right. it's, it's, it's a free uh, webinar. Okay. Thanks so much. And thanks for everything that you're doing for the industry. Thanks for everything that all of my team are doing for the industry right now. I don't say that publicly that much, and I appreciate it. I did also want to mention that one of our sponsors, BHG uh, Funding, who uh, spoke on Friday, is that correct? Um, they, uh, If you listen to that episode, there was some uh, discussion. They are a direct SBA loan um, uh, uh, bank also. Uh, and uh, they're available to you, certainly. Hang on. And, John, just to cut in real quick, sure. it does bring up a good point about the um, the SBA loan specific to COVID-19. Um, currently, the application process for these loans is only through the SBA website, um, though, the, though SBA reserves the right to basically contract them out to... Um, outside entities. That's a good point. So uh, you're not going to go through your local bank immediately here. You're going to go through the SBA website first, correct? Correct. Okay, thanks. Uh, I We're looking for questions at this point. That is, uh, we do have a couple uh, announcements here that we want to talk about. We're about an hour and 10 minutes in. Um, so I, I want you all to save a date. Um, the ASC podcast with John Gailey is sponsoring, it's, is hosting its first uh, virtual conference. Uh, just before we went on, we came up with a name. Thank you, Judy. Uh, Judy uh, recommended, and I think we've all agreed that it's con- uh, the conference name is It's a New World Conference, a virtual conference for ambulatory surgery centers. And it's going to be April 14th and April 17th. So they're not contiguous days. We decided that it probably, given everything that's going on, we'll do it on a Tuesday and a Friday. They will be all-day sessions. Uh, there'll be seven hours. Uh, it would be a total of eight hours with the breaks in there, but there'll be seven sessions that we'll be uh, doing on each day. Uh, and uh, I'm hoping to push that out within the next 24, 48 hours as I get all my speakers uh, lined up. Uh, Ann Geyer, who's uh, on here, is our uh, keynote on uh, on Tuesday, she has agreed to that, though we don't know what she's going to speak about yet. But um, we, we have a general idea, and I'm sure it'll be great. Uh, and uh, so we have a lot of uh, speakers. We have about 10 speakers already lined up for this wonderful conference. We're going to be able to offer about 14 credit hours for uh, AEUs for uh, Certified Amatory Surgery Center uh uh, certificates. Uh, we'll offer some IPCU credits also for the CAPE cr- uh, credentials. Um, and uh, just going to finish this up, and we do have a question coming in. Uh, 
So if you are interested, keep an eye out. We'll be uh, pushing that information out shortly on LinkedIn. We'll be pushing it on our website. Um, uh, and everybody on this, uh, on, on this podcast today is actually a speaker here. So I appreciate uh, all of your, your efforts. So I, I don't know that I've asked Christina yet, but she'll volunteer. She always does. Um, and then, uh, also remember next week, infection prevention coordinator training, uh, with Lori Rodericks. Uh, we have, uh, this is going to be an all day training. It's a live online training program to prepare nurses for the role as an infection control and, uh, prevention coordinator or to improve the skills of infection prevention coordinators in the ambulatory surgery setting. So if you're thinking about becoming an infection control uh, coordinator in your center or you've ever dreamed about becoming one, this is the, the session for you. This is meant to kind of as a, as a different uh, approach to this. I know there's a lot of uh, competi- competing, well, there's not a lot, but there's a few competing um, conferences out there or um, uh, sessions that you can do online. Uh, this is really designed specifically for not only uh, infection preventionists in an ASC setting, but for this current environment. It's a full-day course. We'll focus both on the basic skills necessary to become an infection control coordinator and build on the skills that current coordinators already have. Particular emphasis will be placed on the infection control challenges of our current environment and preparing for more rigorous surveys in the future. So for more information, uh, visit our website, click on any links. You're going to see a lot of information about this. We already have, um, we're already filling up pretty quickly, so you, you might want to sign up uh, as quickly as you can. Uh, Sue? Yep. We have a question from Heath. Wants to know, do you have any insight into facilities that are taking advantage of billing as a hospital or providing alternative services? Or are there any regional pockets of this kind of work that you've um, seen. So I, I'll start this off, and maybe I'll have Christina uh, chime in a little bit. So at the, this is a proposal. Well, it's not a proposal. CMS has come out and said that they're going to allow this to happen. To the best of my knowledge, unless somebody has been able to pull this off in 12 hours, uh, there's nobody doing this yet. Um, and you know, speaking to what we talked about extensively in the beginning of the podcast, this is an area that's certainly under development. There's a lot more questions. As we talked about, there's a heck of a lot more questions uh, than there are answers at this point. We are parsing this information. We've got this incredible team that's uh, on your screen in front of you for those of you that are on YouTube, as well as, uh, you know, other uh, AS, uh, AHS uh, staff members, as well as the people, the, the fine people at ASC Association are doing a bang-up job, really, in communicating with the CMS and all of the state associations. Uh, Association people that are involved in this. There's a lot going on in the background. It's very difficult to keep up with everything. So to your point, uh, Heath, is um, we don't have a lot of insight right now. Um, we know it's going to be challenging. Uh, I think, as we mentioned earlier, our, our suggestion is to look into contracting with the hospital and basically asking the hospital to pay for the use of your facility and certain of your staff. Um, Christina, do you, did you want to chime in a little bit on that just to finish that up? We're seeing, seeing, can you hear me? Yes, we can now. Okay, okay, good. Because you laughed and I was like, great, (laughs) not not again. Um, I've seen in Texas, I've had facilities since the very beginning, since early March, they had been approached by some of these hospitals as overflow for the COVID-19. And um, they're, some of my facilities in Texas, Um, But again, it's all about the regulations and how do you implement this for the safety of your staff and the patient. Um, So it's definitely more towards the implementation Mm -hmm. um, than not. 
matter of the regulations and rules. Yeah, so I think for now, uh, the most experience we have is basically the uh, cases being shifted to the surgery center from the hospital and being billed out as an ASC procedure through your normal procedures or n- normal process. I think the challenges for centers could often be the fact that they've never billed that particular type of a pr- procedure, that their billing and coding staff are unfamiliar with all the rules surrounding it. Um, so uh, the, the comment from Heath was, thanks so much for answering my question. Just looking for resources. I'm currently following ASCA's webpage and guidance as well to be sure that we're able to consult with other facilities as we adapt to the ever-changing environment. Thanks for the live podcast. So, it, again, we will continue to monitor Heath and, and all of our uh, audience there. Uh, I wish we had more information, but this is relatively new, and it's going to take a while. And we've got to let uh, Lori and her uh, committee uh, – kind of work on that. And of course, the wonderful thing people at ASCA, uh, I do want to uh, thank um, uh, Karen Newberry, who's a, a legal counsel for them. Uh, I reached out to her today. She was very uh, quick in getting back to me. But unfortunately, as she said, I don't have a lot of answers yet. I just have some questions. And she's been very willing to take information or some uh, questions from us and, and observations about what we need to do in the future. Any other questions? Any of the feeds? Nothing. Okay. Um, if there's nothing else, I think we will lead out. Hang on one second here. <clears throat> well, that's it for this episode of the ASC. It seems kind of silly after all of this, but yeah. uh, <laughs> but we have to do this. To <laughs> uh, that's it for this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Kelly. Join us again, uh, and we'll probably have another episode on Friday. That's at least our, uh, our – we always like to leave the, the weekend uh, – uh, with uh, or lead into the weekend with everything that we know at that point. Uh, please consider becoming a patron by going to the website at ASCPodcast.com, and uh, that, that helps to pay the bills here. It helps to literally keep the lights on in, in this uh, studio here and to keep us uh, planning for the future. As we've said, we're giving away a lot of information for free, and I really appreciate uh, the support that we're getting. All of our patrons, we have a lot of patrons already, uh, so anything you can do to help us to, to, uh, to keep the lights on here. Uh, So spread the word with your friend about the podcast, with your friends and colleagues. It's hard to believe there are still people that don't know anything about us. So uh, please get that out there and hit hit the subscribe button so you know right away when we uh, have another episode coming up. The sound editor for this episode is Susan Cronkite. Executive producer is John Gailey. Research assistance is provided by Susan Cronkite, Jenna Alvarez, (laughs) Judy D'Ambrosio, Alex Borneman, Zach Kalaritis, and Lori Rodericks. Music is provided by Media Sushi and Mike Noah. The ASC podcast with John Gailey is hosted on Podbean and is available on all major podcast channels. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. We would like to thank our sponsors, Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, Surgical Information Systems, Encompass Healthcare Data Solutions, and BHG Funding. And also Medicus IT, which is not in our script here. Sorry about that. Sorry. (laughs) For more information about our sponsors, please visit our website. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.